Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. Okay, this is a very exciting episode for us here in Livewire Town because it's our first show recorded in front of a live, albeit masked and vaccinated, audience since the pandemic began. Tom Sharpling joined us for the occasion. Of course, he's the host of the legendary call-in show, The Best Show. He's also a TV writer. He worked on the TV show Monk. Now he's got a new memoir out, which chronicles uh, his struggles and his triumphs and his dislike for Billy Joel, which I don't necessarily agree with, but everybody is entitled to their opinion. Uh, we're also going to hear some hilarious comedy from one of our old stand-up pals, Mohanad Sheki, and we're going to get some music from the super cool band, Maita. So that is the plan. We are back in front of a live crowd, baby, and it is very exciting. So don't go anywhere. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going better now that we are about to engage in a little station location identification <laughs> examination. Okay. This is how we like to kick off the show now. I am going to tell you about a place. You try to guess the place that I am talking about. Okay. This city consumes more jello per capita than anywhere else in the world. Well, this is very close to my heart because uh, my least favorite nickname that people often give me is Elena Pass the Jello. Oh, <laughs> they would never say that to you in this place because they're very, very nice people. Is it like a Midwestern place that makes like those casseroles, you know, the like kind of Waldorf? Keep going west and think about a place where maybe folks aren't consuming as much, say, alcohol or coffee, and so Jello may be kind of a fun treat to get to have. It is Salt Lake City, Utah. It is exactly Salt Lake City, my friend, <laughs> where we are on the radio on KCPW hey, in KCP Salt Dubs. Lake City, Utah, the Jello capital of the United States. Thanks to everybody for tuning in there and everyone else in the other parts of the country listening to this episode of the show. Speaking of which, should we get going? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, the best show host and writer, Tom Sharpling. 
my two heroes were Al Sharpton and Gary Shandling. So I'm like, why don't we combine those two? And uh, that's who I will become. And comedian, Mohanad El Sheki. So one of the things I used to get is, uh, where's your accent from? I don't know, my mouth? With music from Maita and our fabulous house band. Woohoo! I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank! Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. Uh, we asked the listeners a question, as we do each week. The question was, what's your nicest memory from the last 18 months? It's because we're talking to Tom Sharpling this week, and he has a memoir out that says, it's a memoir with nice memories, which is, you know, it's kind of a, a, a change of pace from some of the memoirs. It can be a little more intense. And also, you know, the last 18 months, obviously not great, but there were woven into there little nice things that happen. So we're going to hear the listener responses to that question coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, of course, it is time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you heard all week? This is New Zealand news. Mm. New Zealand. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I know from, this comes from the North Island of New Zealand, and I know from Reese Darby, who was on the show about a year ago, that there are three islands in New Zealand, North, South, and Stuart. <laughs> That was an unforgettable episode of the show. The guy from Flight of the Concords, Murray, their manager. Oh, he was so Also good. known as Reese Darby. That was the most out of control the show has ever felt with me as the host. He was yeah. climbing around on the furniture. You were trying to mic him. It was quite a quite an episode. Well, I mean, and this story maybe is a little tamer than the tornado that was Reese Darby uh, blowing through live wire. This is uh, some folks who live on the North Island of New Zealand named Colin and Donna. Okay. They're avid gardeners, and two months ago, they were weeding their garden, and they hit this chunky thing in the dirt, and they kept kind of digging around and digging around and digging around to see what it was. It was kind of too tuberous to be like a tree root, and they thought maybe it was some kind of fungi, and they kept digging and digging. What was it? Well, so they're trying to figure that out. They're kind of grossed out by it. It looks kind of weird and evil. And then Colin just takes a bite out of it. <laughs> just imagine a New Zealand accent here. He goes, mm -hmm. honey, it's a bloody potato. <laughs> it was a potato? It was a 17.2 pound potato. And you're going to like this new part about it. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, a.k.a. your favorite book when you were growing up. Sure. The largest potato on record is 11 pounds. So that is just absolutely obliterating the record. Yeah, they still got to wait for confirmation, and apparently there is a vetting process, but they've sent away the paperwork, and they're going to try to get this on the map, in the books, as the largest potato ever grown in the world. They named the potato Doug. <laughs> D-U-G. Because they I dug him up. I can visualize Doug right now. That's pretty much the perfect large potato name. And you know what they're going to do once they're done with Doug? They're not going to turn him into tots. They're not going to julienne him or fricassee him. I don't know if you fricassee mm. potatoes. Waffle fries come to mind. There's so many things mm. you can do with a potato, but they're not doing those things. What are they doing? They're going to turn him into alcohol. <laughs> oh, right. Vodka, maybe, or something. Yeah. They're going to have a Doug teeny when they're done. <laughs> 
<laughs> My best news story is also kind of food related, but not so much something that grows unexpectedly in the ground behind your house, but something that you spread on a couple of pieces of white bread if you're in New England, and that is the sandwich known as the fluffer nutter, mm. which just made it into the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, along with vaccine passport and dad bod. <laughs> a couple of new additions this year included fluffernutter. This is a New England tradition. There is this thing that they make in New England. I'm sure our listeners out there know what I'm talking about called marshmallow fluff. It's like that spreadable uh-huh. marshmallow cream that's in a jar. Yeah, yeah. And the popularity of this marshmallow fluff in New England is legendary. And at some point, somebody figured out that if you take that and you spread that on a piece of white bread, and then you spread some peanut butter on a different piece of white bread, and you put that together, you have a fluffernutter sandwich. Instead of PB&J, instead of the jelly. Right. And I got to be honest with you. I was a little on my high horse about this fluffernutter thing, being from the Northwest, not really growing up eating it. I thought, that doesn't sound very healthy. Uh -uh. Well, the people that make the marshmallow stuff would point out that there's actually less sugar (laughs) in their marshmallow spread than there is in a lot of jelly. Really, I should have been eating marshmallow the whole time because that is the true health food, I guess, if you're in New England. I didn't know this about how stuff makes its way into Merriam-Webster. Apparently, people were saying fluffernutter in the Northeast constantly, but nobody was writing it down. And for Merriam-Webster to decide to include something, it needs to be part of written language as well as spoken language. Also, turns out Merriam-Webster is based in Springfield, Massachusetts, and Peter Sokolowski, the editor-at-large, is wants to be very clear that this was not a hometown decision. They did not include <laughs> Fluffernutter just because they also happened to be in New England. He said, we are not the dictionary of New England English. There is no advocacy. We watch to see, is the word's use growing or is it falling? Every word has its own pace. So they felt like the word Fluffernutter was, was being spoken enough and being written enough that they can now include it in the actual Merriam-Webster dictionary. It's time has come. Exactly. (laughs) So the fact that you can now order a Fluffernutter and know that you're using proper Merriam-Webster English is, well, that's the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's get our first guest on over to the show. For the last 18 years, he has hosted the legendary weekly call-in show, The Best Show. He's also an Emmy Award-winning TV writer. He wrote on the show Monk. And now he's got a new memoir out. It's titled It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories, which chronicles his struggles and his triumphs and uh, why he's still mad about the seats that he had to a Billy Joel concert back when he was a teenager. Uh, Take a listen to this. It's Tom Sharpling right here on Livewire. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, this book is is really uh, funny and heartfelt. It starts off with you talking about how you'd always been thinking, maybe I should write a book, but you wanted to write like the perfect book. And then you were in a bookstore and you noticed that DJ Khaled, the <laughs> we the best guy yeah. had written a book and you thought, yeah. ah, f- it. Pretty much. <laughs> I was, that was, yes, that's when I kind of figured between... DJ Khaled and uh, Rob Gronkowski, football uh, legend. Noted Rob literary professional. I was like, if he has a book, I can write a book too. 
What was the process of actually getting down to writing it, though, after all those years of kind of thinking about it? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was kind of like I had thought about it so much that it was weirdly easy to start because I had been thinking about it for about 15 years, and it was just kind of waiting to do it. And then I started doing it, and then it got really hard. <laughs> I'd like drive around at night, and I'd be like, I think I'm turning my life into just a joke that everybody's going <laughs> to laugh at me. These are like the saddest things that ever happened to me, and I'm just like turning myself into like a weird punchline. And like I was waiting for people to be like, yeah, I like the story when you were, had the breakdown. That was funny. I'd be like, funny? That was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I'd be like, oh, I thought it was funny. So. Tom, you and I were both like radio-obsessed kids. You write in the book about going to college and that there was a radio station at your college that only broadcast within the college and that sometimes they would turn off the speaker in the cafeteria so it meant the person was broadcasting to literally no one. Yeah, it was like a, they call it like carrier current radio, which is a polite way of saying it's, you're playing on the PA inside the same building. <laughs> and then like people would be upstairs DJing and taking it so seriously. And then somebody just down in the student center would just change the station on the thing <laughs> <laughs> with the other person not even knowing that nobody was hearing what they were doing. Well, how did you get the best show then from those inauspicious beginnings? Well, I started uh, volunteering at a radio station called WFMU, which is a listener-sponsored station. Yeah. yeah. And it's, Legendary uh, New York station. Absolutely, yeah. Legendary New Jersey station. Excuse me. Thank you. I consider that uh, New York East. Sure, no. Or New York Southeast. <laughs> whatever. Or you could just call it New Jersey. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I mean... You say New Jersey, I say tomato. Sure. So you're at WFMU, famously in New Jersey. Yes. We, we John Worcester, who is uh, my comedy partner, and we, but this was the start of our comedy partnership. We were just friends, and we'd talk on the phone. He was in North Carolina, I was in New Jersey, and we would just goof around, and we're like, why don't we just do this on the radio show and see what that's like? And we came up with this idea where he would call in as a, a critic who had written a book called Rock, Rot, and Rule, <laughs> and was like the, it basically put himself in the position of being a, an expert, and that he was going to say which band, the book, the book basically, the theoretical book consisted of these bands rock, these bands rot, these <laughs> bands rule, and it was just lists, and, but he talked like an authority, which is the best way to drive people nuts, because now everybody's just like, wait, this moron has a, got a book deal? And <laughs> literally thinks like, like, he'd be like, oh, David Bowie only rocks or, or rots because there's too many changes. And it would just like, the audience, so then the phones lit up the second we started. <laughs> Everybody from the audience was just ready to fight him because he was talking like an expert, which is the best way to irritate people. Act like an expert when you don't know what you're talking about. And then he said, well, Madness invented Ska, no. the band Madness. And then the phones really blew up then. And people would be just like, a lot of, all of like the actually people came out of the uh -huh. woodwork then. The actually There's nothing that yes. self-appointed experts seize on more quickly than someone they hear being an expert and doing it, they think, incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Now, they, again, if, some, if you hear somebody has a book deal and you know more about it than they do, 
you want to like literally fight them. And these people were like, I knew a couple of the people who called in. I was like, oh no, we're pranking you right now. You're taking this very seriously. I'm going to have to apologize to you later. And then when we put it out on a CD, I was like, I'm so sorry that I took your one moment calling a radio show and now it lives forever. And that, that became kind of legendary. Lots of people passing that CD around. I mean, that thing was kind of viral before we had that term. Yeah, it was, I guess, what would you call that? Was it venereal back then? <laughs> yes. Wow. That sounds so much worse. This seems yes. like a good time to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask about your antipathy towards Billy Joel uh, in a moment. This is Livewire Radio. We're talking to Tom Sharpling. His new memoir is It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, Okay. What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/slash. LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. 
Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello and a bunch of beautiful masked people at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We're talking to Tom Sharpling from The Best Show. He also worked on uh, the TV show Monk. His new book is It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories. One of the hotter takes in this book is uh, the fact that, that you're not a Billy Joel fan. Um, you lay that out in a chapter. Why, for the people out there who are getting ready to call in angrily. Sure. Well, what, what, would your, what, what would your take be on why <laughs> Billy Joel is not, not the greatest team? Generally his music. Oh. <laughs> I'd say it starts with the music that he writes and records. Okay. All right. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> you do sort of come around at the end of the chapter, I believe. Well, first of all, you tell a story of going to a Billy Joel concert in your youth that was kind of formative for you because it was like the sort of cool kids had an extra Billy Joel ticket or kids that you didn't oh, have yeah, any, yeah. anything socially in, in common with and you went to this Billy Joel show mm-hmm. and your seats were so... Well, first you tried to buy a yeah. switchblade that didn't go well. Well, I didn't. One of these... The cool kids. The cool kids. One of the cool kids, we take the train from New Jersey into the city is what you call New York City when you're from New Jersey. Um... So we take the train in, get out of Penn Station, and he's like, I want to go to Times Square. And, and we're just like, whoa, that's a, like the scariest place on earth. What are we, we're 13. What are we doing? So we go to Times Square, and, and he's like, I want to buy a switchblade. And we're like, who are you? Like, you're in eighth grade. What are you going to do with a switchblade? So then we, he goes, we're in Times Square, and it's still, it's like the end of bad Times Square, but before, like, the M&M store showed up. Right. So, wasn't there Which yet. Which some would say is a new version of bad Times Square. Bad, yes, exactly. Um, but, so then some guy comes up, sees, he sees these dumb suburban kids from a mile away, and he's like, what do you guys need? And he's like, I want a switchblade. <laughs> and the guy goes, all right, 30 bucks. And my friend goes like, no, that's too much. So like he's negotiating to buy a switchblade. Like you even know the market value of a switchblade? How is this possible? So he's like, "All right, twenty. And then he's like, "You stay here. I'll be back." And then guy takes off, comes back a few minutes later with this like paper bag. And he pulls my friend's pant leg up and jams it in the sock. And he's like, "Give me the money. Give me the money." And then hands him the money, and the guy runs. And we're like, "Well, we can't look at it right here on the street because." A, it's a weapon. So we go to a department. I went to like Macy's or something to, and then go into the bathroom. And then my friends at the urinal, my friend, this was just a jock who I wanted to fit in with. And they wanted nothing to do with me outside of that. I would buy the fourth Billy Joel ticket off of them. I must have been like the 80th person they asked. So then he's at the urinal and I suddenly hear him go, like, oh, mother, blah, 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 and then. He storms out of the bathroom, and then there's a uh, Mounds bar <laughs> laying in the urinal. So he paid $20 for a Mounds bar. Aww. So. Um. But don't go all. He was a terrible person. <laughs> a terrible young person. I'm sure he's twice as bad as an adult. <laughs> but then you got to soften the blow with the Billy Joel show. Oh, well, that was the reward for all the hard work. And so we go to the Billy Joel show. And this kid who just lost 20 bucks on a switchblade, he's like, I don't want to go to this show. I'm going to scalp my ticket. 
And he goes up to a guy. He's like, I'm selling my ticket. And the guy looks at it. He's like, I don't want this. This is the, literally the worst seat in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Out of 20,000 seats, this is the worst seat. And it was because it was the last row of the upper deck, literally behind the stage. Like the seats that Billy Joel, by all rights, should not be selling. But they'll sell them to you. And then, like, so... We're currently being taken off the air in Long Island, yeah. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so then this kid who, again, is 13, at the most 14, he's, like, just goes up to the concession stand and starts buying these gigantic beers. And they're just selling them to him. <laughs> so he's so drunk. It's like... And it was just, like... And he ended up spilling one of the beers on one of the other guys' tour book, tour oh, right. program. program. So that he was, nobody was happy that night. Uh, we're talking to Tom Sharpling about his new book, It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories. Um, all right, Tom, another sort of news flash in this book, something that I was unaware of, uh, is that Tom Sharpling is not your birth name. No, it's not. Your uh, original name was Thomas Giuliano. That's correct. Um, and uh, in the book, you explain the... Backstory that involved like cassette tapes and also Gary Shandling and Al Sharpton? Yeah, it was kind of a combination. When I was 18, my two heroes were Al Sharpton and Gary Shandling. So I'm like, <laughs> why don't we combine Match. those two <laughs> hall of heroes for me? And uh, that's who I will become. I, I feel, I'm sure a lot of the listeners to the best show kind of feel like they have a bit of a sense of you. And I, as a listener, felt I had a sense of you. And then in this book, there's a lot of stuff that was new information, and one of the things you write about is something you said you had pretty much kept a secret in your life, which mm -hmm. was that you dealt with some mental health issues in high school and you actually went through shock therapy. What was it, well, I guess the first question is, why did you decide to include that in the book? Why did I decide to do it? I, I, okay, sorry. <laughs> why did you decide to put it, it in like the book? It seemed like a fun thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> now, why did I put it in? It was just one of those things, if I was gonna write a book that told stories from my life, I knew I'd truly be denying like the, the hub of everything that has been run. Everything was informed by that for me for, for my whole life. And just yeah, things happen and either you, know, you can bury them and hide from them. And that's what I did for most of my life. And I was just like, well, if I'm going to do this book, I'm just going to talk about it and just own it. Kind of just get it out there. And it kind of unburdened myself in the process also. Yeah. So. I never thought I was going to get cheers over my electroconvulsive therapy. But now, welcome I feel to Portland, like I, baby. I feel like I, yes, thank you. I'm like I'm at the ECT awards and I'm holding the. I did it. Billy, Jaden, go to bed. Daddy's coming home. He won the ECT. One of the things, though, that is very uh, fun and smart about this book is when you get into heavy stuff, you then will follow that up with like a, a story of unqualified triumph uh, yeah. so that you can kind of, you know, keep, keep things on a bit of an even keel in the book. Uh, unqualified triumphs, like pitches that you've made for like projects or videos that are not actually picked up, but they make you laugh. Like your idea for a Paul Simon video. Yeah, yeah. There's a recurring theme in the book that's revealing itself to me right now. This book was pretty much just me listing who 
I, I would want to see get hurt in things. <laughs> and I like Paul Simon, so don't beat me up afterwards. He just, happy 80th birthday. He just had his 80th God bless you, Paul Simon. <laughs> Garfunkel, not so much. Um, but, no, I direct music videos now and again, and somebody had said, hey, do you want to pitch ideas for Paul Simon for this new album he has coming up? And this was a while ago, as you'll see by the pitch I made. I was just like, you know, that OK Go video where they did, like, the giant Rube Goldberg thing yes. was really popular. Uh, a year or so before and I was just like well what if we do one where Paul Simon's getting ready to do one of those and he's in like a jumpsuit and it, it then the song starts and then like the all the crap starts falling and everything but then like a giant oil drum rolls and knocks him over <laughs> and like seriously hurts him <laughs> and like he doubles over clutching his leg in agony and then lays there for a minute before the crew figures out he's really hurt. <laughs> but it's all one shot. And then people come and over. And the song is still playing. song's still playing. People come over. Are you okay? He's clearly not okay. <laughs> then eventually an ambulance kind of pulls in. <laughs> Some medics help him in the back. And they would just follow him in the ambulance until the song stopped. And then here's the <laughs> spoiler alert. Paul Simon did not want to make this video. <laughs> but it does get filed under unqualified triumph in the book. Yes. <laughs> unqualified. Do you ever uh, sort of sit back and take stock of kind of where you've ended up in your life? You have this successful professional career as an entertainer. You're a TV writer. You've got this popular radio show. To think about kind of where you were in your life, particularly in your high school years when you were dealing with really profound depression and suicidal ideation and just to, to figure out, to sit back and kind of see that you got through that and you got to this point in your life. I mean, does it ever just amaze you how it all ended up? Oh, absolutely. I it, truly, I can't believe I'm still alive, honestly. It was so bad. I was, it, it just seemed built into things that I was not going to make it. And I did make it. And I'm just grateful for everything. Even though there were huge challenges with all the ECT stuff, like memory loss, like enormous amounts of memory loss that I've been dealing with ever since then. I'm still alive, and that's kind of, I guess that's the best version of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're here on this stage. Yes. No, right. I'm With a yeah, bunch of your fans in a, the audience. That's pretty good. No, that was a joke. I'm <laughs> truly grateful for everything and for how I got through it all. Tom Sharpling, ladies and gentlemen, his new book, It Never oh. Ends, a memoir with nice memories, is available now. Thank you so much. Hey, special thanks this episode to Simon Davies of Gresham, Oregon. Simon is part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which is a pretty big deal because it's how we're able to do the show. So a big thanks to Simon for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire from PRX. Of course, we like to ask the Livewire listeners a question each week. This week, uh, kind of keying off of the Tom Sharpling memoir, we asked, what's your nicest memory 
from the last 18 months. A lot of not nice memories, but maybe a couple of nice ones. Elena, what did the listeners tell us were some of their nice memories? Oh, this is a special batch because we got this batch from the live show. How great was that, by the way? Just getting to be in a room with people. I mean, yeah, everybody was masked and vaxxed, but still just the energy. To have the band back, getting the band (sighs) back together. It was so great. I was actually like kind of worried that I was going to feel and be showing that I was a little emotional when I walked on stage, you know, Mm -hmm. like getting a little teary. Yeah, it was an emotional moment. I've been thinking about it for so long, too. So these are the responses from the folks that were actually in the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Yes, they texted their uh, answers into our live show hotline. And so they Mm -hmm. don't have any names attached to them, but they're all fabulous. Okay, let's hear some nice memories from the last 18 months. This one's amazing. It's by an audience member who also was an Airbnb host. Okay. And they say, a young couple was stuck in our basement Airbnb for six months. They couldn't travel to their family back east. And then their baby was actually born in our house. Uh, What? (laughs) The midwife didn't make it. And Uh. so dad caught the baby. That happens? I thought that was just in the movies or something. It happened in this person's house. I mean, everybody in this situation, it sounds like, should probably be getting five stars or whatever Mm -hmm. the top ranking is because they had to live together harmoniously for like months and months. Yep. There was a child that was born (laughs) during the Airbnb process. Also, like the fact that it was an unexpected home birth. Oh, I know. All right, what's another uh, actually nice memory that one of the listeners at the Alberta Rose Theater had? I love this one. It's about a successful quarantine activity that doesn't involve childbirth. (laughs) (laughs) That's a high bar to start the segment with, (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. I sewed my first item of clothing, a pair of quilted pants, one year ago. I have now made at least two dozen different mostly wearable items that bring me joy and satisfaction every time I put them on. It's the mostly Mm. wearable that really gets me... (laughs) I feel like I'm really regressing. At the beginning of the pandemic, I had this very strong commitment to always just kind of putting on clothing that I would wear out to the normal world, a typical office situation. And that was like some way, I think, for me of having control over my life. And then I got this pair of sweats (laughs) that were on like deep discount at a department store. I was just walking through. They were basically free. And I was like, okay. And I been wearing them for the last three months and have really just been kind of asking this question of where were sweatpants my whole life? Because, you know, they are in fact very, very comfortable. Yeah. So I think it adds years onto your life. It's feeling right to me to just have some personal comfort. Yeah. So I'm glad that listener has some quilted pants. Those sound very comfy too. All right. What's another sort of positive memory that one of our listeners had? Oh, love this one. Christmas 2020 in the garage with the door open and masks and a beautiful tree. Hmm. We did something like that in in my house. It wasn't for Christmas, but, you know, uh, at the college where I teach, all the classes were online. And I had these grad students who had flown across the country to go to school in their little apartments, basically. So we opened up our garage door and put all these lights and things and like patio furniture and bought one of those like big butane heaters. And we would have theater nights. We strung like these (sighs) red curtains and made this little stage and they would come over and we had these socially distanced chairs and everybody would read from their work. And there was a fridge out there so they could drink beer out of the fridge. You know, (laughs) it was the awesomest. I mean, you have to think that even though that was highly improvised and maybe a little chilly, that was so much more memorable 
and sort of special than if you would have all just been inside your house, you know, like a normal year, which of course that can be great too. But like, there's something about how much we all had to sort of improvise things yeah. that, that added a specialness to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like make the makeshiftedness of it was kind of like love, right? Like the yes. things that made it happen were like, were love rather than like professionalism. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody who uh, wrote in for that. We are going to have another listener question at the end of the show. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Let's get to our next guest. He made his national TV debut on Conan. He's been featured on Comedy Central and has toured with Pop-Up Magazine. Uh, he currently works on Full Frontal with Samantha B and has been featured on podcasts like Love It or Leave It, Pod Save the People, and Livewire, this show. Take a listen to this. It's Mohanad El-Sheki recorded on Livewire in October of this year. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, you know, I got so lucky. I got to spend the past 18 months working from home, which was great for me because uh, a few years ago, I used to do customer service. Anyone here does that or used to do that? Yeah, a few people. The rest of you are just the 1%. <laughs> I hate customer service. It's the worst. It's the worst thing you could do in life. Like, working in customer service is the reason... I don't believe that all lives matter, you know? <laughs> you know, people like, when I work in customer service, would like, always want to guess my accent, which is great for both of us. Uh, and people here, like, important, would never ask you where you're from. They always, like, find a sneaky way to do it. So one of the things I used to get is, uh, where's your accent from? <laughs> Which is, like, I don't know, my mouth is just, like, <laughs> that's how speech works, you know? Uh, but I remember I had this one guy specifically who approached me, and he was like, hey, man, I'm going to ask you something, and this is going to be, like, a white dude thing to ask, which, you know, always excites me. Uh, <laughs> And he was like, are you Persian? And I was like, no, I am not. And he was like, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, no, I, mean, I wish I had your confidence. That's super amazing. Uh, and he was like, no, I'm just asking because my dad, my dad is Persian. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, do you think I'm your dad? <laughs> Have you been walking around retail stores just looking for vaguely ethnic men? Just I like, mean, father? <laughs> like, yeah, I would never have a kid this dumb. Uh, uh, I live in New York City now, and uh, I've spent the whole pandemic in my apartment watching so much true crime. Yeah. Like, not on TV, but like from my window. And. <laughs> Uh, well, we're back now, like, you know, taking Ubers and stuff, which is, which is great, but I, I have, like, a lot of social anxiety when talking to Uber drivers. It's just, I, I hate talking to Uber drivers. It's, like, nothing against them. It's just me. It's the worst thing ever. 
and you know you're like, hey man, like there are like worse things in life that could happen. And you know, uh, eight years ago, I was driving my car back home. And when I say home, I'm originally from from Libya, specifically from the city of Benghazi, which I'm sure you've only heard good things about. <laughs> And I got stopped at a checkpoint, and these checkpoints were like mostly controlled by like these militias. They were like everywhere, like ISIS and stuff. I don't know if you remember them. They kind of fell off. Uh, <laughs> and you know, they searched my car up and down, and then one of them approached me and he was like, "Hey, before you go, I'm going to ask you something." And he was like, "Who do you support, us or them?" And I was like, "That was." A that's a great question, sir. Uh, that really depends. Are you uh, us or them? <laughs> and he was like, no, we have to pick. And I was like, uh, God? <laughs> I support God. And they were like, that's super dope. <laughs> yeah? That's the whole brand here, actually. So good job. You can go. Uh, and if you're like, what is the point of this story? Like, what is it that you're trying to tell us? The point I'm trying to make is that I'd rather deal with all of that than have my Uber driver talk to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up, I, I grew up in a religious family. And growing up, I had a middle school teacher who would tell us about what happens to us when we die and when we go to heaven. And one of the things he used to say is that in heaven, we get rivers of honey. Yes. And I remember being like, well, that sounds exciting for a bear. <laughs> you know, a few days in, I'd be like, God, this sucks. <laughs> this is sticky. Like, I thought you loved me. What's up with this? Uh, two years ago, I uh, I was I was I was doing I was doing comedy in 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 Washington State in a city called Spokane, Washington, and you know I was doing comedy there, and uh, you know I finished my gig, and then I was going back to Portland. I got on the Greyhound bus, which you know I because I did that because I believe that the best art comes from torture. Uh, <laughs> Got on the bus, I'm like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me today. And then I look up and I see these two people wearing uniforms walking down the aisle. And then, you know, they approach me and they ask me where I'm from. I tell them and then they're like, do you have a passport? And I'm like, well, sir, this is a bus. Uh, I'm not sure what to tell you. And he was like, okay, give us your papers and everything you have. And let's step outside of the bus. And then I learned that these people were uh, border patrol, which sucks. Uh, and then, you know, it sucks because like, they asked me to step outside based on the way I looked, you know. They looked at me and they were like, this guy looks too handsome to be from Spokane. Like, <laughs> uh, you know. And then we talked outside for like 20 minutes. I gave them my papers. They looked at them. They were like, these papers look fake. They're easily falsified. And I was like, well, these papers have been given to me by you. <laughs> So maybe do a better job. I don't know. Like, uh, seems like a you problem at this point. Uh, and then they were like, "Okay, buddy, we're gonna let you go now." But quick question: uh, Are you from uh, from Oregon or Washington? And I was like, "I support God." <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, "What?" I'm like, "I don't know, man. That's how I talk to militias." Uh, yeah. 
And the thing that sucks about this is that this, like, I went out back on the bus, and, it, you know, like, it was, like, such a lonely feeling to feel like you're, like, you know, different from everyone, like, everyone, like, looking at you, and it feels so lonely. Like, and I'm saying that as someone who's, like, you know, been to an Ariana Grande concert as an adult. Uh, <laughs> And it was all over the news because I tweeted about it and it went viral, which shouldn't have done. But, you know, I was getting like a lot of death threats from people, which, you know, not fun. Uh, but the worst part was that not what, that my civil rights were violated or that I had to deal with like death threats or any of that. It was the fact that the, for two weeks, the whole nation knew that I can only afford Greyhound buses. <laughs> really sucked for me and my brand. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to end with this. Uh, you know, a lot of people, like, during the pandemic got super creative with their time, you know, like, on TikTok, Instagram, and all of that, getting, like, you know, these cool stuff outside. And apparently people don't like it when you have fun. Uh, and so there was, like, this uh, opinion section in the Washington Post. And by the way, I, I don't know if you've seen opinions lately, Extremely bad, like not a single good, good opinion. Uh, and you know, the opinion was about like, you know, like, oh my God, young people like would do anything for followers. Like the things they do for followers are just absolutely insane. Like anything for followers just doesn't make sense. And I was like, you know, sir, I do understand your point, but like it did work for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the man literally died for his followers. <laughs> and now has, like, what, two billion? Good PR move, Jesus. Like, that's an upgrade from what he had before. Like, 12, mostly his buddies. Like, good. Yes. And it's been a while since we had him. Like, I don't know, like, 20,000, 21 years. Don't quote me on this. I'm not a history buff. But... Uh, we still sell his merch to this day. Like, <laughs> he even got a book deal out of it. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, you know, like his father like created the universe, but Jesus created content, and that's what matters in this day and age. Anyway, my name is Mahan Al Sheki. That's my time, everyone. Thank you, Mahan Al Sheki, everybody. That was Mohanad El Sheki right here on Livewire. You can also check him out on the I'm Sorry podcast, where he and his co-hosts process public and personal controversies and decide whether to forgive, forget, or cancel. <laughs> I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we have so much more coming up in just a moment. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co.
Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Exciting show for us this week. It was our return to the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. First time having a live audience since the pandemic. Our musical guest was named Portland's best new band of 2020 by Willamette Week. NPR calls their album a clear-eyed look at growing up and holding yourself responsible for actively creating the life you want to live instead of just waiting around for it to happen. Woo! Yeah, it's the journey that we should all be on. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> um, so take a listen to this. It's Maita right here on Livewire. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, I read an interview, Maria, in the Reed Alumni Magazine, where I believe you graduated, and you were saying that you will go to an open mic and you will listen to somebody performing an extremely cringy lyric, and then you will ask yourself, what's my version of that? And then you will write it and put it in a song? Yeah, that's that a tactic um, <laughs> that I use sometimes. I feel bad saying that, though, <laughs> now that I think about it. That seems like a bad way to get to a good lyric for you. But what is it? Is it freeing to hear someone else say it in a cringy way? Well, I think that sometimes you have to hear what's not true to have mm -hmm. a visceral reaction of what the truth actually is. That's great. And uh, it's like telling the truth and finding the truth in something is my main goal with songwriting. And when you hear something that feels kitschy or cliched, like you have to think like, why does this feel bad? And that's where you get to the truth, I think. Wow. What song are we going to hear? This song is off our record that came out during the pandemic. Uh, it's called A Beast. All right. This is Maita on Livewire.
That's Maita, right here on Livewire. Their album, Best Wishes, is available now. They got a new album coming out, I Just Want to Be Wild for You, due in February. Maita, everybody. All right, before we get out of here this week, a little preview of next week's show. Uh, first up, Ijeoma Aluo will join us. You might know her from her New York Times bestselling book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Uh, she's going to be talking about her latest book, which examines the legacy of white male supremacy and then imagines a, a new white male identity, which is free from racism and sexism. Uh, then we've got New Yorker writer and historian Jill Lepore. She's going to tell us about the first company in America that tried to predict the future using computers to figure out human behavior. Uh, and we're going to get a little dose of what we're calling musical hope by way of the Banksons. They're the musical duo behind this amazing thing that was going around the Internet called the Keep Going Song. And as always, we are going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? Next week, we want you to tell us a small wish that you have for the future. Okay. If you want to hit us up on social media, we are at Livewire Radio over at Twitter and Facebook and other places. So please do send in your small wish for the future. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of Livewire, our triumphant return. To live shows. A huge thanks to our guests, Tom Sharpling, Mohanad El Shecky, and Maita. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by B. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we would like to thank member Simon Davies of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Fairbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you. <laughs>